What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Resolute Square. And this is The Enemy's List. On today's episode of The Enemy's List is my good friend and the great strategist, Stuart Stevens. We are going to talk today about something that will obviously, when you hear this, be in the rearview mirror, metaphorically speaking, and that is the New Hampshire primary. While we are recording this, we are mere hours away. We have the earliest results in from New Hampshire, from Dixville Notch, where Nikki Haley got six out of six votes. And as they say, Stuart... As Dixville Notch goes, so goes Dixville Notch. <laughs> We've got New Hampshire coming up. And what do you think the stakes are for Nikki? And uh, and let's walk through where we see the next couple of days and weeks in this weird, uh, soon-to-be-over primary campaign. I think you called this two years ago, Rick. And I think it's just a question of how it's going to play out. It is uh, like you're visiting with a doctor and you have a terminal disease and he can tell you how it's going to end. He just can't tell you how long you have. I think if she loses tonight, which seems like the most likely scenario, I think her campaign will be over. She may not realize it. It may be, you know, you still think we're going out, um, but we're not. (laughs) If she wins, there's a month between now and South Carolina. In that period of time, uh, I don't think there's anything in South Carolina she can do to increase the vote that she has now. I think that's right. It's possible that Donald Trump could, you know, do something you can't say do something crazy. You could say, you know, Donald Trump could have a Mitch McConnell physical moment. But if that happened, you know, she's saying, and I want to be there in case something happens to Donald Trump. There is absolutely nothing legally or any other way procedurally to stop DeSantis getting back in the race. You know, if, right. if, if Donald Trump dropped dead, you know, walking off the stage after declaring victory in New Hampshire, DeSantis would... He's still on the ballot. Hell, I think you'd see a flood of other people jump in at, the, at that at that moment, right? Even though some of the states are are we're past the the due date on some of the states, I think you would have, I think you'd have a damn flood of people coming in. Yeah, where do you think her number is tonight? Where she has to reach to stay even sort of humorously viable in the coming weeks? My number is she's got to beat it or got to come with at least fifteen points of Trump. I even that I think is not going to do it, but yeah, fifteen points. I know, right? In an ordinary election, you'd be like fifteen points. You got your ass beat. I mean, <laughs> you imagine you and I had a client, and the, the client says, "Look, guys, if you get me within fifteen points, I think you'll do a great job. <laughs> We're going to be good. Uh, I'm going to. You, you're going to get that bonus, Lord. I think she'll probably be within fifteen points. But there's two numbers to watch here, always in New Hampshire. 
How is she going to do with registered Republicans and how is she going to do with independents? So as one of the geniuses involved in the Bush campaign in 2000, when we took a 64 point lead into New Hampshire and lost by 19 while outspending the other guy three to one. Which, I mean, I just want to say for the record, this cannot be done casually. This takes <laughs> professionals. Right. This takes, this takes commitment. <laughs> There's one thing in play in New Hampshire, as you've pointed out, that needs to be factored in here, and that is that it's an open primary, and there's no Democratic primary this year, so Democrats can come out and vote for Nikki Haley if they choose to. Uh, well, I mean, I guess Dean Phillips is in the Democratic primary, but it's not really a Democratic primary. So you've got a situation now where Donald Trump and Nikki Haley could have the numbers upset by the fact that there are an awful lot of independent voters in New Hampshire, or independent, functional independents, whether they're really independent or just sort of notionally so. They could connect a degree of of chaos into this race that I don't think we've fully estimated yet. Yeah, so 40% of New Hampshire voters are registered independents. They can vote in either primary. If you're you know, registering today as a voter, why wouldn't you register as an independent? I mean, there's no downside to it. Plus, they have same-day registration. So uh, you can be a Democrat yesterday, and you can walk in the ballot and ask for a ballot and switch to Republican uh, or an independent, and then vote in the Republican primary. So this has always been a huge factor. If you go back to the you know, McCain 2000 race. It delivered it for McCain. I mean, you know, he would have probably won still, but very closely. That was a case where Bradley was running against Gore. And I always thought Gore didn't beat Bradley. McCain beat Bradley. Right. Because McCain was where, you know, he was on the Straight Talk Express. I mean, when I was working for Bush and we would go to McCain rallies and they were great fun. And then we'd have to go to Bush rallies and it was like, right, oh, it's this like is a awful. dental appointment. It was like this. This is not fun. We're going to lose. So um, you have an X factor here. It's the first time you haven't had a Democratic primary in a while. Could be fun. Could be funny. Could could be nothing. Yeah. And, and look, Chris Sununu is out there. He's a popular guy. He's, I think, um, actually doing a very good job as a surrogate, being kind of a happy warrior out there. I've seen some of the spots he's running. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be enough. And I don't think it matters if she wins. You know, go back to 2000, Bush lost by 19, and he still won South Carolina 10 days later. And look, South Carolina is always a matter of win ugly. I think the thing about South Carolina for Nikki is that she can't really do much to increase her vote total in her home state. But man, Trump sure can and can do a lot in her home state to drag her down. What are you going to tell a South Carolina voter about Nikki Haley they don't already know. And in that uh, life-imitating high school way, Nikki Haley has a lot of enemies in South Carolina. You know, she, she belonged to a certain uh, faction of the party. Uh, she defeated a lot of other people that thought they ought to be governor. And they're going to see this as a moment to get their uh, comeuppance. All right, there's no love lost between her and the current governor, McMaster, at all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And... You know, Nikki, God love her, she endorsed Romney in 2012. But when it did come in, the excess that Romney was losing badly, somehow, I don't know, there was a lot of traffic and she couldn't quite make it to the election night event that night. That is a stunning, a stunning, a stunning sign of her great dedication and loyalty, don't you think? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, you know, it is, uh, they would say in New Jersey there was some traffic. 
so with Nikki as the last person standing in the race, I think, I think you're, you know, like a lot of us, you and I've been talking about this a lot and you and I and Reed and Joe, but talking about this an awful lot about just how delusional both a lot of folks in the media and a lot of folks in the party still are, even at this late date, that something's going to change the outcome of this primary. And it's just, I mean, let's draw out what the ground looks like for Nikki Haley after South Carolina. Let's just say she makes a, a decent showing in South Carolina. Then she goes to the bloodbath that is Super Tuesday. And that is the end of the line, in my mind, bar none. There's nothing, there's no math there that adds up for her on Super Tuesday, despite her campaign putting out a memo that Super Tuesday is great for her. Yeah, look, I mean, let's just face it. She can't get indicted fast enough to win Super Tuesday. Um, <laughs> it's just not enough. It's just not enough friendly prosecutors who will go out and indict her, you know. She has become the functional anti-Trump candidate in a Trump party. You know, she's, she's somebody who's losing five bucks on every sale but thinks they can make it up on volume. It's not going to work. Um, there's really ultimately... No rationale for her candidacy, except she's not Donald Trump. And that's a very compelling uh, uh, premise, unless you want Donald Trump. <laughs> then, then, you know, they want Donald Trump. So not being Donald Trump's a negative, not a positive. We reached the end of the line for DeSantis this week. You know, he, he you know, finally pulled the ripcord and said, done, I'm out, it's over. Not to be long lamented, I don't think, but you've got this split emerging in the party. I think that folks like us at Lincoln and and a lot of people in the pro-democracy coalition need to really pay attention to. And that's that, you know, probably nine out of 10 or eight out of 10 of Ron DeSantis voters go straight to Donald Trump. But I don't think nine out of 10 Nikki Haley voters go straight to Donald Trump. I think that's where... Right. We right. We know from our numbers and we know from other numbers. And the polling in, in, in Iowa. Exactly. And, and I think there's there's a lot of emerging opportunity to talk to those voters. And so how should the Democrats be talking to those like Nikki Haley voters as this thing winds down? And, how, and I mean, we know how we're going to do it, but I'm curious what you think, how, what the Biden campaign should be doing in that in that space. I, I would go right at the misogyny and the racism. Yep. The way that she belittled her for uh, her ethnic heritage, attacked her, and belittled her for being a woman. You know, somehow, I mean, I just don't understand this. And I'm convinced if there's an alien intelligence watching this, they also don't understand this. You have a, a nominee, a nominee who a hometown jury, right? has found that he's liable for sexual assault, that a judge clarifies his rape. So you have a rapist who is winning the Republican nomination. A rapist. Call me crazy, but as, as much as people disliked, I don't know, Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush or George Bush 41, none of them ever woke up and thought, hey, that guy's a rapist, and that's okay with me. I, I just didn't realize that pro-rape sentiment was as strong as it is in the Republican Party. <laughs> I think that is... Uh, obviously uh, appalling to any human being. But for women, I can't believe that it doesn't have a stronger impact and a more personal impact. All these other candidates in the race, and our our old friend Kurt Bardella today said, you know, it was all over when they stood on stage and said, even if Trump's indicted, I'll pardon him. Every single one of them, except Chris Christie. And that, you know, know, that's a guy who 
wasn't really in the primary to win the primary. He was there to clear his conscience. God bless. But this idea that we have no one attacking him on on one of the most serious charges. I look all these charges around Trump. In my mind, the two that really matter to me are the ins- the, the insurrection case, the DC case, um, and and E. Jean Carroll in a lot of ways, because. If you have a president who is an adjudicated rapist, a guy who a court has said sexually assaulted and raped Eugene Carroll, and no one gives a shit about it um, uh, enough to like use it as in their fight against the guy, well, I, I can tell you, folks, th- that will not be something lacking in the Lincoln Project's messaging this year, because American women are right, frankly, under the gun right now. Um, we've seen in the post. Uh, Dobbs environment, these states passing these, these, what I call unlimited government conservatism legislation, where they where they want to monitor it's women's a, periods. A great description. Where they want to where they where they want to use big tech data to make sure that women aren't um, going out and slutting around and getting pregnant, and, and, and so they can't get abortions. It's a this is like I think women, you know, as they always do, will end up playing a extraordinary nearly central role in the campaign this fall unless the 19th amendment is repealed which is not looking good there are people that are trying to shove that investment uh, or that to overton window i imagine peter navarro and stephen miller have a plan like that that's the equivalent of like the green bay uh, express or whatever his, his, his right. plan was to overturn the election you know, I thought there was an extraordinary number in the Iowa polls that uh, Seltzer was doing for the Des Moines Register. The Republican Party in Iowa is now 68% men. Self-selecting, it's 68% men. So I think that, you know, I, when I worked in Iowa, I worked for Grassley. It wasn't that way. And it, it just shows the failure of the party to appeal to women. I think it's a huge issue. I, I love this new ad that the Biden campaign has launched with this woman from Texas who's a physician on the abortion uh, laws. And look, I mean, you and I know uh, better than most that for a lot of our Republicans, any of the abortion laws didn't really affect them because if they got pregnant or they had a daughter who got pregnant, they were, had the resources to do whatever it took if they wanted to terminate that pregnancy. And it has been a, a number of people, in a larger number than most people realize, and you've talked about this a lot, in the Republican Party, who are pro-choice. Now, you know, we talk about pro-choice and pro-life in these binary forms, and ultimately they are. But, you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't take long if you have a discussion, if you go, okay, are you for abortion for sex selection? which the Chinese do all the time. You know, I mean, I think people go, I don't know, maybe that's not a great idea. But that doesn't mean you're not pro-choice. And this is why those who are against abortion keep trying to push it to this absurdist ninth month, you know, month. Post-birth abortion, the baby is beheaded in the, in the, after it's been born. It really is one of the cruelest sure. things you can say. Because in cases where a woman carries... A, a child to that stage, the personal pain and tragedy and grief that they feel 
I, I just, it's unimaginable to me. I have a dear friend who's been trying to get to trying to successfully have a child for a long time. And she has had miscarriage after miscarriage. It's, it's just, it's, it weighs so heavily and I love her dearly. It weighs so heavily on her. And, and yet, you know, there's a fear now that if she has a miscarriage and it gets reported, you know, she could be, she, and it's past the, the six week window, the state of Florida could say, Oh, you're, you, you know, you're guilty of manslaughter. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I find. I, I think there's a bigger implication to the, to the degree to which Republicans are willing to use the government to get into people's lives. And, and as you said, but between 22 and 28%, depending on the state and some other factors of Republican women are either actually pro-choice like Roe v. Wade pro-choice, or they are government should say the hell out of my life pro-choice. Like stop telling me what to do. Libertarian pro-choice, if you want to put it that way. And I do think that's going to be I think I think combining the Dobbs question um, and this overreach with the fact that you're going to have a president who's an adjudicated rapist, if you elect Donald Trump, and a speaker of the House who is a guy from the ragged, fringy edge of the outer edge of religious extremism. Uh, I think I think there's a big chemical possibility there. And I also think it may help Biden get back some of these young voters as we go forward. You know, I mean, we talked about this before. I ran the Democratic Party. I'd wake up every day trying to get in a cultural war. Yeah, right. They're winning these cultural wars. And Biden's best group was younger voters. He won under 30 by 24 points. And there's a lot of research, uh, that shows that younger voters are more motivated by issues and personality and by uh, the allure of the candidates, which kind of makes sense, you know, because they're, they're more cynical about individuals, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They know what issues that they really care about and they're dedicated to them. And, you know, under all of this, Rick, just think about this. I, I, this has really struck me in the last few days, to Nikki Haley trying to close. There is no policy here. No, There is no, no Nikki Haley plan. The first hundred days when I'm president, what am I going to do other than wear high heels? Stuart, every, every presidential campaign we've been involved in, think about this. There's always a room full of, ge- full of, full of geeks, full of nerds. Propeller heads. That, right. The, the propeller head dudes who sit in that, who sit in that room and they, you know, go through like tax policy and healthcare policy and they write these brilliant long papers and you're like, I'm not, you and I, I'm never going to read them. You know that. You, we're not going to read them. But they build out this like ideological framework. And in the old days, it would have been the Nikki Haley tax plan. It's a little revi- They don't yeah. even bother with anything anymore. It's all like a, a complete just train wreck of I'm the, I'm the non-Trump Trump. It's it's striking how how bad it is. There's just nothing there. I mean, I can remember in the Bush campaign, we had a whole section of those. And I asked Carl, I said, what do they do over there? And Carl said, they illuminate manuscripts. That <laughs> <laughs> was, was pretty great. That's pretty good. You got to give it to him. When he, when he gets it, he gets it. <laughs> they haven't released any, uh, even a plan. No, they, they, I don't think they care about it anymore, man. I, I think they just don't care. I, I bet if you went on the Skateboarding Association of America website, they have more policy plans than the Nikki Haley website. <laughs> and, you know, nobody even talks about the fact. They don't even get asked these questions. And, and 
It, there is no coherent governing philosophy in the Republican Party. Correct. I mean, all, all these key, all these issues that were just, you're on this side or that side. Which side of the Berlin Wall are you on? I mean, that used to define foreign policy for the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're, now you have the pro-Putin element of American politics is in the Republican Party. None of it, ha- the, the weirdest part of this is that none of it for Republicans has to make sense. You know, if, if Joe Biden was on the other side of this issue, if Joe Biden were somehow supporting Putin in this case, they would be calling him that, that they would be calling him weak and dangerous. He'd say he's putting America at risk because they just, it's a reflexive ideological rejection of anything that he does. Trump transformed elections into the spectacle and the personality contest. Um, and, and transformed the, he, he rebooted the way Americans looked at elections, I think, in some fundamental ways. But at some point, you got to feel like there's got to be a there there somewhere underneath it all. I mean, you, look, Biden is a guy with, with some plans and ideas and policies, and they may not be what his progressive base wants, and they may not be what everybody in the Republican Party wants, but at least he's got an ethos. At least he's got something in the middle of the whole thing. Take a piece of paper, divide it in half. What do you get with Biden? What do you get with Trump? Well, take them at their word. With Trump, you get the final battle. You get retribution. You get the uh, politicization of the military. You get the politicization of the civil service. You get the Justice Department going after uh, any opponents. You get a world in which the power of the government is going to be used to attack corporations and businesses that he sees as offensive to him and not supporting him. That's what you're going to get. That's what he says. Okay. What do you get for, for Biden? You know, I mean, you, you get a lot of stuff. This is a guy who gave you the infrastructure plan. This is a guy that gave you this chips bill, which is mm-hmm. critically important. This is a guy who's holding together the coalition that is stopping the greatest evil since World War II from winning the greatest ground war in Europe since World War II. Just to remind you folks, sweeping across Europe. (laughs) I mean, I think if Donald Trump is elected president, I would advise everybody who would like to take a road trip from Paris to Warsaw, do it now. Because you're not going to be able to drive The traffic's going to be pretty bad going the other way. Unless, you know, you have like a Russian passport in five years, you know, you're going to hit a border. Yeah, you have Donald Trump up there saying we're not going to defend Taiwan. Somehow, like, how did we end up, how did Republicans end up to the left of Bernie Sanders? (laughs) How did this happen? You know, yeah, you know, I was thinking about voting for Trump and I'm going to go with Sanders because I really feel strongly about standing up for Taiwan. I guess all of this is predicated still on the fact that, and we've been talking about this a lot, Donald Trump is not a well man. You know, when you look back now on 2017 to 2020, the Donald Trump that we thought back then was crazy, off the rails, bizarro world, um, completely nuts. We look at him now and we're like, I, I, I don't feel a lot of pity for Trump at any point. But I look at him now, I'm like, this guy's tired. He's out of his depth right now. I think, Don, I think Biden is like is likely to win this race 
there's greater odds he's going to win this race decisively than Trump would win it decisively. And I think that there are greater odds that Biden will win than Trump will win. I mean, you just really have to step back from it and say, is America a country that wants to elect a man who has been found to be a rapist? Is it really a country that wants to elect a man that, that believes that Putin should win a war against a European democracy? And the basic decency factor here. So I thought there was a really interesting poll. The Marist is a pretty good polling operation. They had a poll in New Hampshire. They had Biden's favorables at 38. Right. And yet Biden was winning 52 to 45. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think that the traditional correlation between approval and ballot is going to be skewed in this election for a couple of reasons. One, the majority of Republicans don't think that he's a legally elected president. So if you don't believe you have a legally elected president, what in God's name can you tell that person to have a favorable opinion of him? Okay, look, I know you, you think he stole the office, but how about that infrastructure plan, baby? What do you think? <laughs> you know, you know, how about that chips thing? You know, you know, get that insulin shot that your, you know, your uh, dictator gave you. Um, <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing you can say. If I no. was polling, I would just take those people and throw them out of the sample. And I think they do skew the samples. Where the race is now is not where the race is going to go. I think that the stark choice between the two is going to get greater. And Biden's strength is stability. He's not going to become unstable. Trump's weakness is instability. And he's going to become more unstable, unstable for all kinds of factors. Uh, the normal ones of fatigue, but also winning is going to reinforce his worst instincts. I think that's something we have yet that most people in this country have yet to grapple with is that, that when Trump is, when Trump is ahead, he engages in his very nastiest, ugliest and, and most destructive behavior. Uh, when he feels confident, he gets out there. I mean, let's remember one of the reasons that Trump won in 2016 was all the public polling was saying he was getting his head handed to him by Hillary Clinton, that it was over. And he sort of retreated into silence. He kind of withdrew. He went back to Trump tower. He wasn't out there banging the drum. It wasn't as uh, crazy as it had been. And, and his numbers started to go up. And I, I heard anecdotally that Bannon and, and Kellyanne and some other people had seen that in their tracking his numbers were going up and they couldn't understand it, but it was because he'd shut his damn mouth. There was no expectation in their campaign he would win. That's a great piece of mythology in Trump world that they, they knew they would win. They absolutely believed they would not win. And so that idea that Trump was somehow, um, when he shut up, he actually did better. You know, he only does that when he feels like he's losing. So I think he, because he's winning this primary so decisively, um, he's going to act out and be the biggest asshole he can be because that's sort of like wired deeply into his behavior. Donald Trump is the guy who goes to a party, has three drinks, drives home, and becomes convinced drinking enhances your ability to drive. <laughs> that's, that's better. 
You know, if I'd had four drinks, I would have even driven better. It's the wrong causal impact. And I, I think that that is going to be um, a huge factor here. I think that part of it, uh, discipline that they were able to impose upon Trump in uh, leading up to now was the fear of losing the primary. And they were able to, uh, La Civita and, and Susie Wall were able to convince him, we need a real organization in uh, both these states. You, you didn't have one in Iowa and you lost. And he said, okay, we'll do that. They had precinct captains, I understand, in every uh, precinct in Iowa, which is hard to do. There's over 1,700. Our friend uh, Dave Carney, longtime political guy, mm-hmm. who has a striking resemblance to Ignatius Riley in Confederacy of Nunces, um, <laughs> yeah. including including his fondness for a yo-yo. Have you ever seen Dave working the yo-yo uh-huh. in Texas? Uh-huh. He uh, knows New Hampshire about as well as anybody. He says that, that Trump by far had the best organization, which I thought was interesting um, and surprises me because I would have thought the governor party says, but the party's not for not not for Nikki Haley. The party structure is for Trump. Look, I, I you know I think there's something really interesting going on here. That um, normally, if you just woke us up in the middle of the night and you said, "Is a long primary uh, does it favor an incumbent who's not having a primary, or the challenger?" We say, "Well, it favors the incumbent. Let them get out there, fight themselves longer. Uh, they'll be nasty. They'll be harder to unify the party. They'll spend money." But I think this may be an exception to that. That the sooner this becomes a one-up race with Biden, the better it is going to be for Biden. Because it will give a longer time for people to look at this and think about it. You know, I, I, I just, I don't understand this. I mean, literally in the way I don't understand quantum, you know, physics. How is it that Jamie Dillon can stand, Jamie Dillon can stand up there at, at, or sit there in Davos and Praise Donald Trump. I mean, how how is this possible? I, I, I'll tell you part of it, Stuart, is because Jamie Dimon is in Davos because Jamie Dimon lives in a world where if Jamie Dimon could get all of the policy outcomes of, of taxes slanted to the 150 or so biggest single individuals and, and hedge funds and private equity firms in the country without Donald Trump's uh, – um, craziness, he would be out there doing cartwheels. But this is telling you also that even a guy like Jamie Dimon, somebody at that level, does not does not have the, the courage to say, you know, the thing that makes capitalism actually work in America is where it's capitalism in America and not and, – and that this country protects the rights of individuals and there's a rule of law and everything else because – this this idea, this this conception that oh yeah, well you know we, we've got to listen to the people who want to burn down the Capitol. Um, that's a, that's a sort of luxury good for a guy like Jamie Dimon, who if 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 it goes wrong here, if things go south here, Jamie Dimon flies off and lives in Switzerland and he's fine. The rest of us, not so much. Yeah, you know what gets me about these guys is they got a pretty good deal here. Being a CEO in America is like pretty good, you know? Or would you rather be a CEO in Russia? <laughs> How's that working out for those guys? Yeah, nobody's loving that. You, you really want to live in a house with no windows. <laughs> and never be, able, never be able to, like, get on a plane. Right. It, it, really is, it really is, I think, 
and I've said this for a long time as part of my Rick Stradamus prediction series, that every CEO who has said, who said after January 6th, 2021, I will never be with these people who were insurrectionists. Da, 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 da. We will never give them money. Well, 90 days later, they were all given them money again. And they, the same people who said, I will never support Trump again. I'm all in with DeSantis. I'm all in with the, da, da, da. guess what? At the end of the day, they're going to be all back with Trump again. They're going to all roll in there and they are going to flood the zone. And frankly, Trump's going to collect from them at like three times the normal rate because the vig of having supported DeSantis or Nancy or Nancy, excuse me. I said Nancy, Nancy or Nikki um, is going to be high. You got to dig. Yeah, they're going to have to dig themselves out of that hole. You know, I. <laughs> so, you know, we got the socialist as president. And so the Dow hits record highs. I mean, we should well, think of how it would be if we had a communist. Let's get with it. You know, forget. Let's, let's, I mean, we're gonna, let's go. Let's go full. Let's go full. Full Leninist here. We're going to really kick it now, guys. Uh, the lowest unemployment, uh, you know, there basically is no functional unemployment in America. And the the amazing thing about Diamond is, is this is a guy whose company right now is doing extraordinarily well on Wall Street. It's not there, folks, because it's not there, folks, because because Joe Biden is some sort of like wild haired socialist seizing the means of production. It's because. <laughs> It's a stable government. Yeah. So Biden had a five-year plan to make the rich richer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean. To, to it, the barricades. I keep to making the, the argument that Joe Biden is the conservative choice. <laughs> you, you have uh, a, a situation that uh, the money that's being spent in Ukraine, 90% by the U.S., 90% of it is being spent in America. You know, uh, there are armament plants across America. Like there was an interesting profile of one. I had no idea that most of the artillery shells, you probably know this because you know all this military shit, that most of the artillery shells that we make are made in some plant in Pennsylvania. And, you know, they've gone to 24-hour shifts again, just like Rosie the Riveter. And how it's, it's an interesting piece, how, you know, it's, it's, you know, well, look, down in down in Ron DeSantis' home state, where the war in Ukraine that he opposes We've got folks in Orlando, Florida, cranking out Patriot missiles 24 hours a day. And, and they're making the, – those people are making something like an average of $105,000 turning wrenches on an assembly line a year. This is a good, good job in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that you know, people would, would, would latch on to no matter what. You know, Josh Hawley, you've got a guy who in his home state, there are six or seven major defense contract factories producing equipment for the war against Russia that Ukraine, not America, is waging. And so Hawley, because the being a pro-Putin, you know, uh, uh, shill is required now, he would rather he would rather lose the war and hurt his people economically than, than to continue the support of our democratic allies. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know, the same in Mississippi and uh, Pascagoula shipyard, same, same across, you know, the Gulf coast in Alabama. It's just astounding to me, but look, I got to ask you a question because you have a good feel for these things. Do you think that they are going to get a deal on the border in Ukraine? I think the deal that, that Mike Johnson made, because while the crazies muttered and and made a few little public noises about the continued resolution, 
It was like much less than they could have or that I expected they would do. And so I am semi-convinced right now that they made a deal where he said, I will drag the border thing out. It'll hurt Biden politically. And it's an excuse not to do Ukraine. And and, and it's really going to depend on Mitch McConnell's health in the coming weeks and months if he will push this hard enough. And it's going to depend on the president. If we abandon Ukraine, it will be a stain on our on our on our history that that is that people have yet to fully contemplate. It'll change the world. It, it will make it will make the, the ripples in American foreign policy after the Vietnam War look like nothing. Well, on that happy note, happy note. We always we always end on an upbeat here. Ray of sunshine here. Um, we're going to watch the primaries tonight. You won't hear this podcast in, in time to know that we're going to do our live streaming show, the countdown on 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 uh, LPTV, and we're going to do our live streaming show, the Strategy Room, every Tuesday on Resolute Square. But folks, I pay attention. We're going to have a lot more to say about this race, and obviously, we are at, as I like to say the end of the beginning of the 2024 election. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Stuart. My addition to the enemies list this week is Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire. Now, he is backing Nikki Haley. He's out there right now swinging the axe as hard as he can um, for Nikki, saying that Trump is unstable, saying that Trump isn't cogent, uh, that he needs a teleprompter, mocking Trump's uh, age. And and I got to say... The problem with this is that the performative nature of this this little tiny edge of the Republican politics is such bullshit because he's already said he's going to support Donald Trump when Trump wins the primary. Okay, it is a absolutely stunning example of just how broken the party really is, if just how broken and how completely shattered they are by the corruption of Trump. And that corruption is real. That corruption is is massive. And I really find that that a guy like Snoody really represents it. All these all these elected Republicans who are pretending they love him, half of them still are just afraid. And that's Snoody. He's just afraid. I mean, uh, dude, you're doing a great job supporting Nikki and swinging the axe. But the fact that you already promised you're going to back Trump, that really doesn't make you look like somebody who doesn't belong on the enemies list. Thanks again for listening to the enemies list. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at the Rick Wilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list. Thank you.